Part three of Story nineteen of Lucy Maud Montgomery Short Stories, nineteen o two to nineteen o three. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Lucy Maud Montgomery Short Stories, nineteen o two to nineteen o three, by Lucy Maud Montgomery. Story nineteen The Running Away of Chester. Part three. On the day when the last load of rustling golden sheaves was carried into the big barn and stowed away in the dusty loft, Miss Salome called Chester into the kitchen. Chester's heart sank as he obeyed the summons. His time was up, and now he was to be paid his wages and sent away. To be sure, Martin had told him that morning that a man in East Hopedale wanted a boy for a spell, and that he, Martin, would see that he got the place if he wanted it but that did not reconcile him to leaving Mount Hope Farm. Miss Salome was sitting in her favourite sunny corner of the kitchen, and Clementini was flying around with double briskness. The latter's thin lips were tightly set, and disapproval was writ large in every flutter of her calico skirts. "'Chester,' said Miss Salome kindly, "'your time is up to-day.' Chester nodded. For a moment he felt as he had felt when he left the provision store in Montrose, but he would not let Clementini see him cry. Somehow he would not have minded Miss Salome. "'What are you thinking of doing now?' Miss Salome went on. "'There's a man at East Hopedale wants a boy,' said Chester, "'and Martin says he thinks I'll suit.' "'That is Jonas Smallman,' said Miss Salome thoughtfully. "'He has the name of being a hard master.' "'It isn't right of me to say so, perhaps. I don't really know much about him. But wouldn't you rather stay here with me for the winter, Chester?' "'Ma'am? Miss Salome?' stammered Chester. He heard Clementini give a snort behind him and mutter, "'Clean infatuated! Clean infatuated!' without in the least knowing what she meant. "'We really need a chore-boy all the year round,' said Miss Salome. "'Martin has all he can do with the heavy work, and there are the apples to be picked. "'If you care to stay, you shall have your bread and clothes for doing the odd jobs, "'and you can go to school all winter. "'In the spring we will see what needs to be done then.' "'If he would care to stay!' Chester could have laughed aloud. His eyes were shining with joy as he replied, "'Oh, Miss Salome, I'll be so glad to stay. I—' I didn't want to go away. I'll try to do everything you want me to do. I'll work ever so hard. Humph! This, of course, was from Clementini, as she set a pan of apples on the stove with an emphatic thud. Nobody ever doubted your willingness to work. Pity everything else about you isn't as satisfactory. Clementini, said Miss Salome rebukingly. She put her arms about Chester and drew him to her. "'Then it is all settled, Chester. You are my boy now, and of course I shall expect you to be a good boy.' If ever a boy was determined to be good, that boy was Chester. That day was the beginning of a new life for him. He began to go to the Hopedale School the next week. Miss Salome gave him all Johnny's old school-books, and took an eager interest in his studies. Chester ought to have been very happy, and at first he was, but as the bright, mellow days of autumn passed by, a shadow came over his happiness. He could not help thinking that he had really deceived Miss Salome, and was deceiving her still, Miss Salome who had such confidence in him. He was not what he pretended to be. And as for his running away, he felt sure that Miss Salome would view that with horror. 
As the time passed by and he learned more and more what a high standard of honour and truth she had, he felt more and more ashamed of himself. When she looked at him with her clear, trustful blue eyes, Chester felt as guilty as if he had systematically deceived her with intent to do harm. He began to wish that he had the courage to tell her the whole truth about himself. Moreover, he began to think that perhaps he had not done right, after all, in running away from Aunt Harriet. In Miss Salome's code nothing could be right that was underhanded, and Chester was very swiftly coming to look at things through Miss Salome's eyes. He felt sure that Johnny would never have acted as he had, and if Chester now had one dear ambition on earth it was to be as good and manly a fellow as Johnny must have been. But he could never be that, as long as he kept the truth about himself from Miss Salome. "'That boy has got something on his mind,' said the terrible Clementini, who, Chester felt convinced, could see through a stone wall. "'Nonsense! What could he have on his mind?' said Miss Salome. But she said it a little anxiously. She, too, had noticed Chester's absent ways and abstracted face. "'Goodness me, I don't know. I don't suppose he's robbed a bank or murdered anybody. But he is worrying over something as plain as plain.' "'He is getting on very well at school,' said Miss Salome. "'His teacher says so, and he is very eager to learn. I don't know what can be troubling him.' She was fated not to know for a fortnight longer. During that time Chester fought out his struggle with himself and conquered. He must tell Miss Salome, he decided, with a long sigh. He knew that it would mean going back to Upton and Aunt Harriet and the old hard life, but he would not sail under false colours any longer.' Chester went into the kitchen one afternoon when he came home from school, with his lips set and his jaw even squarer than usual. Miss Salome was making some of her famous taffy, and Clementini was spinning yarn on the big wheel. "'Miss Salome,' said Chester desperately, "'if you're not too busy, there is something I'd like to tell you.' "'What is it?' asked Miss Salome good-humouredly, turning to him with her spoon poised in mid-air over her granite saucepan. "'It's about myself. I—I—' "'Oh, Miss Salome, I didn't tell you the truth about myself. I've got to tell it now. My name isn't Benson, exactly, and I ran away from home.' "'Dear me!' said Miss Salome mildly. She dropped her spoon, handle and all, into the taffy and never noticed it. "'Dear me, Chester!' "'I knew it,' said Clementini triumphantly. "'I knew it, and I always said it. Run away, did you?' "'Yes, am my name is Chester Benson Stevens, and I lived at Upton with Aunt Harriet Elwell. But she ain't any relation to me, really. She's only father's stepsister. She—she she wasn't kind to me and wouldn't let me go to school. So I ran away. But, dear me, Chester, didn't you know that was very wrong? said Miss Salome in bewilderment. No, am I didn't know it then. I've been thinking lately that maybe it was. I'm—I'm I'm real sorry." "'What did you say your real name was?' demanded Clementini. "'Stevens, ma'am.' "'And your mother's name before she married?' "'Mary Morrow,' said Chester, wondering what upon earth Clementini meant. Clementini turned to Miss Salome with an air of surrendering a dearly cherished opinion. "'Well, ma'am, I guess you must be right about his looking like Johnny. I must say I never could see the resemblance, but it may well be there, for he, that very fellow there, and Johnny are first cousins.' Their mothers were sisters. "'Clementini!' exclaimed Miss Salome. 
You may well say, Clementini, such a coincidence. It doesn't make you and him any relation, of course, the cousinship is on the mother's side. But it's there. Mary Morrow was born and brought up in Hopedale. She went to Upton when I did, and married Oliver Stevens there. Why, I knew his father as well as I know you. This is wonderful, said Miss Salome. Then she added sorrowfully, But it doesn't make your running away right, Chester. "'Tell us all about it,' demanded Clementini, sitting down on the wood-box. "'Sit down, boy, sit down. Don't stand there looking as if you were on trial for your life. Tell us all about it.' Thus adjured, Chester sat down and told them all about it, his moonlight flitting and his adventures in Montrose. Miss Salome exclaimed with horror over the fact of his sleeping in a pile of lumber for seven nights, but Clementini listened in silence, never taking her eyes from the boy's pale face. When Chester finished, she nodded. "'We've got it all now. There's nothing more behind, Salome. It would have been better for you to have told us as straight a story at first, young man.' Chester knew that, but having no reply to make, made none. Miss Salome looked at him wistfully. "'But with it all, you didn't do right to run away, Chester,' she said firmly. "'I dare say your aunt was severe with you, but two wrongs never make a right, you know.' "'No,' said Chester. "'You must go back to your aunt,' continued Miss Salome sadly. Chester nodded. He knew this, but he could not trust himself to speak. Then did Clementini arise in her righteous indignation. "'Well, I never heard of such nonsense, Salome Whitney. What on earth do you want to send him back for? I knew Harriet Elwell years ago, and if she's still what she was then, it ain't much wonder Chester ran away from her. I'd say run, too. Go back, indeed.' "'You keep him right here as you should, and let Harriet Elwell look for some one else to scold.' "'Clementini!' expostulated Miss Salome. "'Oh, I must and will speak my mind, Salome. There's no one else to take Chester's part, it seems. You have as much claim on him as Harriet Elwell has. She ain't any real relation to him any more than you are.' Miss Salome looked troubled. Perhaps there was something in Clementini's argument, and she hated to think of seeing Chester go. He looked more like Johnny than ever, as he stood there with his flushed face and wistful eyes. "'Chester,' she said gravely, "'I leave it to you to decide. If you think you ought to go back to your aunt, well and good. If not, you shall stay here.' This was the hardest yet. Chester wished she had not left the decision to him. It was like cutting off his own hand. But he spoke up manfully. "'I—' "'I think I ought to go back, Miss Salome, and I want to pay back the money, too.' "'I think so, too, Chester, although I'm as sorry as sorry can be. I'll go back to Upton with you. We'll start to-morrow. If, when we get there, your aunt is willing to let you stay with me, you can come back.' "'There's a big chance of that,' said Clementine sourly. "'A woman's likely to give up a boy like Chester, a good steady worker, and as respectful and obliging as there is between this and sunset.' "'Very likely, isn't she? "'Well, this taffy is all burnt to the saucepan and clean ruined. "'But what's the odds? "'All I hope, Salome Whitney, is that the next time you adopt a boy "'and let him twine himself round a person's heart, "'you'll make sure first that you are going to stick to it. "'I don't like having my affections torn up by the roots.' "'Clementini seized the saucepan and disappeared with it into the pantry "'amid a whirl of pungent smoke. "'Mount Hope Farm was a strangely dismal place that night.' Miss Salome sighed heavily and often as she made her preparations for the morrow's journey. Clementini stalked about with her grim face grimmer than ever. 
As for Chester, when he went to bed that night in the little porch chamber, he cried heartily into his pillows. He didn't care for pride any longer. He just cried and didn't even pretend he wasn't crying when Miss Salome came in to sit by him a little while and talk to him. That talk comforted Chester. He realized that, come what might, he would always have a good friend in Miss Salome, aye, and in Clementini, too. Chester never knew it, but after he had fallen asleep, with the tears still glistening on his brown cheeks, Clementini tiptoed silently in with a candle in her hand, and bent over him with an expression of almost maternal tenderness on her face. It was late, and an aroma of boiling sugar hung about her. She had sat up long after Miss Salome was abed, to boil another saucepan of taffy for Chester to eat on his journey. "'Poor dear child!' she said, softly touching one of his crisp curls. "'It's a shame in Salome to insist on his going back. She doesn't know what she's sending him to, or she wouldn't. He didn't say much against his aunt, and Salome thinks she was only just a little bit cranky. But I could guess.' Early in the morning Miss Salome and Chester started. They were to drive to Montrose, leave their team there, and take the boat for Belltown. Chester bade farewell to the porch-chamber, and the long white kitchen, and the friendly barns, with a full heart. When he climbed into the wagon, Clementini put a big bagful of taffy into his hands. "'Good-bye, Chester,' she said, "'and remember, you've always got a friend in me, anyhow.' Then Clementini went back to the kitchen and cried. Good, rough-spoken, tender-hearted Clementini sat down and cried. It was an ideal day for travelling, crisp, clear, and sunny, but neither Chester nor Miss Salome was in a mood for enjoyment. Back over Chester's runaway route they went, and reached Belltown on the boat that evening. They stayed in Belltown overnight, and in the morning took the train to Roxbury Station. Here Miss Salome hired a team from the storekeeper, and drove out to Upton. Chester felt his heart sink as they drove into the Elwell yard. How well he knew it! Miss Salome tied her hired nag to the gate-post and took Chester by the hand. They went to the door and knocked. It was opened with a jerk, and Mrs. Elwell stood before them. She had probably seen them from the window, for she uttered no word of surprise at seeing Chester again. Indeed, she said nothing at all, but only stood rigidly before them. "'Dear me, what a disagreeable-looking woman!' thought Miss Salome, but she said courteously, "'Are you Mrs. Elwell?' "'I am,' said that lady forbiddingly. "'I've brought your nephew home,' continued Miss Salome, laying her hand encouragingly on Chester's shrinking shoulder. "'I have had him hired for some time on my farm at Hopedale, but I didn't know until yesterday that he had run away from you. When he told me about it, I thought he ought to come straight back and return your four dollars, and so did he. So I have brought him.' "'You might have saved yourself the trouble, then,' cried Mrs. Elwell, shrilly. Her black eyes flashed with anger. I'm done with him, and I don't want the money. Run away when there was work to do, and thinks he can come back now that it's all done in low fall winter, does he? He shall never enter my house again. That he shall not, cried Miss Salome, at last finding her tongue. Her gentle nature was grievously stirred by the heartlessness shown in the face and voice of Mrs. Elwell. That he shall not, she cried again, but he shall not want for a home as long as I have one to give him. Come, Chester, we'll go home. "'I wish you well of him,' Mrs. Elwell said sarcastically. Miss Salome already repented her angry retort. She was afraid she had been undignified, but she wished for a moment that Clementini was there. 
Wicked as she feared it was, Miss Salome thought she could have enjoyed a tilt between her ancient handmaid and Mrs. Elwell. "'I beg your pardon, Mrs. Elwell, if I have used any intemperate expressions,' she said with great dignity. "'You provoked me more than was becoming by your remarks. I wish you good morning.' Mrs. Elwell slammed the door shut. With her cheeks even more than usually rosy, Miss Salome led Chester down to the gate, untied her horse, and drove out of the yard. Not until they reached the main road did she trust herself to speak to the dazed lad beside her. "'What a disagreeable woman!' she ejaculated at last. "'I don't wonder you ran away, Chester. I don't indeed. Though, mind you, I don't think it was right, for all that. But I'm gladder than words can say that she wouldn't take you back.' "'You are mine now, and you will stay mine. "'I want you to call me Aunt Salome after this. "'Get up, horse. "'If we can catch that train at Roxbury, "'we'll be home by night yet.' "'Chester was too happy to speak. "'He had never felt so glad and grateful in his life before. "'They got home that night just as the sun was setting redly "'behind the great maples on the western hill. "'As they drove into the yard, Clementini's face appeared, "'gazing at them over the high-board fence of the cow-yard. Chester waved his hand at her gleefully. "'Lawful heart!' said Clementini. She set down her pail and came out to the lane at a run. She caught Chester as he sprang from the wagon and gave him a hearty hug. "'I'm glad clean down to my boot-soles to see you back again,' she said. "'He's back for good,' said Miss Salome. "'Chester, you'd better go in and study up your lessons for to-morrow.'" End of Story 19 The Running Away of Chester